Thank you, Eric. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. Thank you, guys. Well, good morning, friends. My name is Avinash. I'm so excited to bring God's word to you again today. Like last week, uh, we are following a series where we are learning uh, the character of God. We're studying through the Bible from the Old Testament through the New Testament who God is and who he has revealed himself to be in Scripture. So to do that, we're going to recite a verse like we did last week. It's going to be up on the screen, I guess. Okay, so let's read this out together. Okay, the, the point of why we want to do this is so that we can internalize what we're going to look at as a church for the next couple of weeks. So read with me on three. One, two, three. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Bow down with me. Father God, we are so grateful for the fact that you are present and that uh, your love is everlasting. And church, I just want to invite you to take a minute to ask God to speak to you today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable to you, O God. Amen. So if there's one phrase to define my relationship with my beautiful wife, Kathy, it's this. Kathy forgives and I forget. <laughs> she forgives and I forget. <laughs> Basically, it's forgive and forgetting. It works amazing, works wonders for a marriage. And how it works is, you see, Kathy tells me for the tenth or the hundredth time something to do or something not to do, and I forget, <laughs> and she forgives me. <laughs> and I don't know if this is just something, let's check. Does this happen to the other men here? Help me out here. This is just, thank you. So it's not just me then. <laughs> so this aspect of us forgetting clearly is common to all of us, right? It's a human condition that we tend to forget this momentary amnesia that we have. For example, when we forget to turn off the lights in the car, or we forget to pick up the eggs and the milk on the way back from work, or we forget to turn on the timer when we're heating, boiling some water. So we all tend to forget, right? We have this amnesia just in the moment. Something we also do is we tend to forget things that have happened to us in the past, right? We forget how anxious we felt just before we took that test, or we forget how stressed we were, or even fearful we were just before the baby was born, right? After that happens, after the baby is born, you forget all of that anxiety, all of that fear. On the flip side, we forget, all, uh, we forget sometimes how happy our home was before there was a divorce at home, or we forget how uh, great the first half of the game was until the Cowboys lost, lost in the last half, right? There are certain events or memories that can overshadow what happened to us in the past, right? And this kind of momentary memory loss, this amnesia, it happens to all of us, and it happens to the best of us. 
And similarly, we have another kind of amnesia that happens in our spiritual lives, a spiritual amnesia. We can forget how anxious and stressed and overwhelmed we felt just before God answered our prayer. And that's a good thing. When God answers prayer, we don't think of all the fear that we face. And we often even forget to thank God for answering our prayers. But more often than not, we forget when God has actually answered our prayers. And we go back to fear. We go back to worry. We go back to anxiety. See, sometimes these events that happen to us, they overshadow or they cloud what God has done for us in the past. We have a sense of spiritual amnesia that hits us, especially when you have bills staring at you in the face, when you have a potential retirement around the corner, when you have kids who seem to be going further and further away from you, when, like Eric mentioned, when you look at the news and the world is falling apart, all of that tends to help us, or not help us, it tends to draw us away from God and draw us towards fear and anxiety. And sometimes when the spiritual amnesia hits us, we forget God's goodness, we forget that he's in control, and we can even tend to rebel against God. We like to have control. When we feel like we don't, we're not in control of the situation, we take things into our own hands. We want to make sure we can control the outcome of what's happening at work. We want to control the outcome of how our kids are growing. We like control. And we can even start to question God's existence in the silence. We can start to wonder, maybe God needs glasses. I don't think he's seeing clearly enough. I don't think he's seeing me in the situation. Maybe God needs some hearing aids. I don't think he can hear my prayers. I don't think he can hear my cries to him every night. Or maybe God's just mean. Maybe God sees all of this and he's just quiet and he doesn't care. And these are some of the questions that the Israelites in Numbers chapter 13, they asked when they faced an insurmountable mountain, they asked these very same questions about God. In Numbers chapter 14, listen to what they say. Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall only by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will be taken as plunder from the battle. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? You see, faced with what they thought was imminent death in the wilderness after having come out from Egypt and after the spies have reported that the land ahead of them, the people are scary. Like you and me, they doubted God. They forgot God's faithfulness and they were hit with spiritual amnesia. Friends, we can all face spiritual amnesia in our lives at some point. So what do you and I do when this hits us? So that's what we're going to look at today. How can you and I as believers function when we are hit with spiritual amnesia? And we're going to look at that in Numbers chapter 14, and we're going to look at it in three steps. First, we're going to look at how the Israelites dealt with spiritual amnesia. And then we're going to look at the way they dealt with it. Is it going to be true for us? Is it what happened several years ago, all the way in the Old Testament? Is that truly livable? Will it pass 
our modern day tests the world that we live in. And if it does, or if it doesn't, lastly, we're going to see how that applies to you and me today in 2023. Okay. So in this text, Numbers chapter 14, we will see that Israel is at the cusp of entering the promised land. They're just there. God has redeemed them out of Israel and he's brought them from Mount Sinai and they're just about to enter the promised land and Moses sends out spies and we hear uh, the report of the spies. So as we travel in the past to the Old Testament in the book of Numbers, we will see first and foremost that God is faithful when Israel suffers spiritual amnesia. We will see in today's text that God is faithful when Israel suffers spiritual amnesia, Israel, having heard this report, they had forgotten all that God had done for them, all that God had promised. But what did God promise them? So we're going to do a quick survey of the Bible. I want you to see what God had promised all the way back in Exodus chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles ready or on your phones, I'd invite you to open and have it ready. Let's move all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. And I want you to see this promise of God, the promise of God and his character that has lasted thousands of generations that we spoke of. So Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. So this is Moses' burning bush encounter. Here's where he meets God and God gives him his call and gives him the promise. Look at what he says in 3, verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of the people. God says, I don't need glasses. I can see what's going on with my people. I have heard their cry. I don't need hearing aids. I can hear their cries on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a land, a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Termites, all the ites. <laughs> so notice this word, milk and honey. Have that at the back of your mind and notice all the ites. Okay? This is the promise that God gave. Now, move with me to Exodus chapter 6, verse 8. We will see this promise continuing in verse 8. God says to Moses again, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, this promise that God is speaking about to Moses was even before the time of Moses. It goes all the way back to Abraham. When God called Abraham, God gave him this promise that he is going to bring his people. Even before they went into captivity into Egypt, God has already promised his pe uh, people that he's going to redeem them and take them to a land flowing with milk and honey. This is God's promise to them. And in this section after chapter 6 is where God does this whole bunch of mind-blowing miracles where he redeems his people out of slavery from Egypt and rescues them. So now jump with me to Exodus chapter 23. Now Israel has moved out. God has redeemed them. Moses, is, uh, Moses and the people have left Egypt and they're at Sinai. Moses has gone up to the mountain and God is giving Moses the commandments. Okay? And here again, God repeats this promise to Moses. Look at what he says in chapter 23, verse 20. I want you to see this. God says, 
I'm going to send an angel in front of you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Verse 23, and when my angel goes in front of you and brings you to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, I blot them out. You see the same words there, the all the ites? Look at verse 28. And I will send the pestilence in front of you, which shall drive out the Hittites, the Canaanites, and the, uh, the Hivites, and the Hittites from before you. So what God is telling here is that God is going to take the initiative to drive out these people from the land. Israel has nothing to do. They just need to show up to the place, and God says he's going to take care of all of them. Right? Now, after having heard this, Moses comes down from the mountain, and what does he see? He sees the Israelites who have not seen Moses come, back, come down for a long time. They get nervous. They get anxious. They have seen what God did for them. Right? They, they walked through dry land when God split the Red Sea. They knew what God did. But because of fear, they had spiritual amnesia. They forgot what God had done for them, and they built uh, a golden calf, an idol for themselves, and started worshipping that. So when Moses came down and sees this, God had every right at that point to pull away from the deal. He had every right to pull away from the covenant because of the fact that they had already broken it. Our judicial system has every right to punish a repeat offender, right? If someone's been sexually molesting a person over and over again, they have every right, and we want them to be just. We want them to be in jail. We want them to face the punishment, right? If we're trying to buy a property from someone, if we see that our agent is sort of fudging, we want to pull away from that deal. Right? God had every right to pull away from his people because of their unfaithfulness. But look at what God does. He forgives them. Moses intercedes for them on their behalf. And move with me to ch chapter 32, verse 34. In verse 32, Moses intercedes on behalf of the people for their sin, and he asks God to forgive them. And look at what God says in verse 34. He forgives them and he says, Now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. He, God forgives. God is faithful. This is his long-suffering, his uh, steadfast love. Despite their unfaithfulness, despite their spiritual amnesia, God is faithful to his promise. So he instructs Moses, go ahead, continue on. Take them to the land which I have promised. Now if you come down to verse chapter 33, in verse 2, God is again reminding of this promise. 33 verse 2, he says, I want you to see this. I will send an angel before you. I, God, Yahweh, I will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you hear the word milk and honey? Did you hear the, all the ites? This is a promise God has been giving from Abraham. This is span, the time between Abraham and Moses is almost 250 years. This is steadfast love. For more than 250 years, God is reminding them of this promise of what he's going to do for his people. Then come down with me to chapter 34, 
here is where we see the, the verses that we recited this morning in the context of renewing the covenant with his unfaithful people, Yahweh reveals who he is. He says, he is the Lord, the Lord, the God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And in verse 11, 34 verse 11, see this again. Again, God is renewing and giving them, reminding them of this promise. 3411, it says, See, I, Yahweh, I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. You see, God is renewing his covenant with his people. And God says that he's going to drive them. Okay? Israelites just need to show up. Now, fast forward with me all the way to Numbers 13. This is after having said all of that, now the Israelites are finally just about to enter the promised land. Okay? So Moses sends out the spies. The spies now come back and give them a report. Look at chapter 13, verse 27. This is what the spies say. And they told him, We came to a land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. What does that sound like? Doesn't that sound familiar? Does that sound like the promise? Go on. Let's look at what they say. Yet the people who live in the land are strong, and the towns are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. 29. The Amalekites live in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites along the Jordan. What does that sound like? Does this sound like the promise? Right? This is like, for instance, if God said, if you go to the AT&T Stadium and you see a combination of the Cowboys and the Eagles, if you see that combination, the Cowboys are going to win. So when you find yourself wandering into the AT&T Stadium and you look up and you see the Cowboys and the Eagles, I know about this. God told me that the Cowboys are going to win. Hopefully. <laughs> This is the kind of promise, right? They've heard this over and over, and you've seen it you, over and over and over again. By the way, Israel has never come to a point where they've seen a land flowing with milk and honey so far. This is the first time they're coming to a place, to a land flowing with milk and honey. So you would think they know that this is God's promise. And how the faith was passed down at that time was parents would teach their children this is what Yahweh is like. This is what Yahweh has promised, that he has promised us from our forefathers that he's going to give us an identity. He's going to take us to a land that is fruitful. And here they are. But the spies seem to have forgotten that. They have spiritual amnesia. They say, the people who live in the land are strong. They're very large. But Caleb... Caleb seems to remember this promise. Look at what he says in verse 30. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome. Verse 31. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we are. For they are stronger than we are. You see, the other spies... When they see the size of the people, they forget the size of the God they serve. 
They thought they needed to be strong. They forgot that they just needed to show up. It was God who was going to give them the victory. Spiritual amnesia. And the narrator in this section, he uses the word see to show how what they saw amplified their fear. In verse 28, he says, we saw the descendants of Anak. In verse 30. Two, he say, they say, we saw they of great size. We saw the Nephilim, and to ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers. When they looked at what laid in front of them, they got spiritual amnesia, and that drove them to fear. But the interesting thing is not that they only saw the people. They could also see God. God was with them through the cloud, and the fire every day. They could see God's glory, but they still could not put the two and two together. They could only focus, they were only focusing on their fear. In verse 22 of chapter 14, God says, the people who have seen my glory and they have seen the signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have tested me these 10 times and they have not obeyed my voice. Friends, you and I are very similar aren't we? We can, without hesitation, stand in church, recite these Bible verses, sing out these songs of God's faithfulness, but when rubber meets the road, like the Israelites, we have spiritual amnesia too. See, this is something that we've heard over and over and over again in church. Haven't you heard that God is with you, that he's with you in the fire, he's with you in the storm? We've all heard this. The, day, the moment you walk out of church, spiritual amnesia hits. When you have bills in front of you, when you have failing health, when you are not living out your purpose or your goal at work, spiritual amnesia hits. And we forget the promise that God has given us. A journalist once wrote, he said, the biggest business in America is not steel, or automobiles, or television. The biggest business in America is the manufacture, refinement, and distribution of anxiety. The manufacture, distribution of anxiety, of fear. They say that fear causes you to do unreasonable things. There was a man in 2014, a man in Seattle, who burnt down his entire house, causing $60,000 of damage because he wanted to kill one spider. He was terribly scared of spiders, but fear caused him to do something completely unreasonable. And fear caused the Israelites to do something completely unreasonable. Look at what they say in the end of verse 3. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us choose a captain and go back to Egypt. You see, because of fear, it turned to rebellion. They started to rebel against God. In them wanting to choose a captain, they are rejecting Moses. And in rejecting Moses, they are rejecting Yahweh. They are rejecting the one who promised them victory. They are rejecting the one who parted the Red Sea. They are rejecting the one who redeemed them from their bondage and is taking them to the promised land. And their fear caused them 
spiritual amnesia. They forgot how horrible their life was in Egypt. They forgot how much oppression they had in Egypt. Because of their spiritual amnesia, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Fear causes people to do unreasonable things. But in this story, in chapter 14, Joshua and Caleb, once again, they try to remind people of the promise. Look at what they say in verse 9, verse 8. Joshua and Caleb say, If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. There are those two words again. It's that promise. They're repeating that promise to the people. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are no more than bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the whole congregation threatened to stone them. They refused to believe and trust in God, despite all that they had seen God do. And look at Yahweh's response in the end of verse 10. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people despise me? How long will they refuse to believe in me? in spite of all the signs that I have done among them. Friends, God asks us that same question today. How long will we not trust in God? How much does he have to do to get your attention? You see, when our fear can lead to our own rebellion, like the Israelites. When we are faced with anxieties, we want to take matters into our own hands. We like to kick doors open. Of course, there's a time for us to act while we wait upon God. But are we acting just so that we can regain control? Thankfully, this is not the end of the story. As before, as Moses has done this time and time again, he again intercedes for the people. He intercedes on behalf of the people to God. In verses 13 to 17, Moses is reminding God of his promises. Not that God needs to be reminded. Moses is interceding on behalf. And look at what he says in verse 17. And now, therefore, let the power of the Lord be great in the way that you promised thousands of years back, hundreds of years back, when you spoke saying, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children to the third and the fourth generation. Forgive the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have pardoned this people from Egypt until now. Despite what lies ahead, Moses didn't have amnesia. He remembers that God is a God of covenant-keeping commitment. That despite people's unfaithfulness, God has always forgiven. Look at what God does in verse 20. Then the Lord says, I do forgive just as you have asked. I do forgive. God is living out his promise. This is God being slow to anger. This is God abounding in steadfast love. This is God forgiving iniquity and transgression. 
God is faithful to his promise despite the unfaithfulness of his people. God's commitment to his people is beyond the covenant. That's his nature. His very character is being slow to anger, is abounding in steadfast love. That's God's character. And if we continue to read in verses 22 to 24, we will see that God does, in fact, punish the wicked. He punishes the, the wicked who rebelled against God. And if you read from verses 26 onwards, God actually does not visit the iniquity of the parents to the children. He actually enables the children to enter the promised land. God is faithful and true to his covenant. So we've seen that God proves faithful when Israel suffers spiritual amnesia. God proves faithful when Israel suffers spiritual amnesia. But is this true? Is it always going to be true? Is it going to be true for the rest of our lives? Is God's patience going to run thin? This leads me to my second point, which says that God is always faithful when his people have spiritual amnesia. God is always faithful when his people suffer spiritual amnesia. And the reason I can say this is because people have always had spiritual amnesia. If we look at our history, take Abraham, for example. God called Abraham when he was 75, and he said he's going to make him into a great nation. He didn't believe him. So God, in a vision, drew Abraham out of his tent, made him look at the night sky, and asked him to count the number of stars. And he said, that's going to be how many, that's going to be your generation. That is the number of kids you're going to have. And they didn't believe it. A few years later, when Abraham is 99 years old, God once again reminds him of this promise. And Abraham laughs. He laughs at God. He's like, I'm 99. You're not going to give me kids now. Abraham, our friend of God, he had spiritual amnesia. He forgot what God had promised him. And when they saw that God was still silent, Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands. Well, let's look at our own Moses in this example, who is interceding for the faith and remembers God's promises. When the people complain in the desert, in the wilderness, he throws such a temper tantrum that he wants God to kill him and be rid of his life, like Jonah. And another time in the book of Numbers, when the people once again complain, Moses has it. He's, he's, he's just done with these people. He takes matters into his own hands. He strikes the rock and provides water instead of allowing God to provide. He had spiritual amnesia. He forgot what God had promised and charged him with. How about David, a man after God's own heart? He was spiraling in sin with Bathsheba that he was rebelling against God in scheming over and over again to have Uriah killed. He had spiritual amnesia of what his role was supposed to be. Or the Israelites who returned from exile during the time of Nehemiah, there was a spiritual awakening. The people wanted to hear from God. A few years later, they abandoned God. They built altars to pagan gods. They had spiritual amnesia. It was God who brought them back from exile. It was God who restored their identity. They had spiritual amnesia. What about our disciples in the New Testament, right? Despite all the miracles that they had seen Jesus do, they had walked with him, they had seen Jesus do miracles, they had seen him cast out demons. But when that storm hit that boat, 
even though Jesus was with them, they had spiritual amnesia. They asked, Jesus, do you even care for us? Or take our fearless apostle Peter, who would cut the ear of anybody who dared to see Jesus. He had this sudden case of spiritual amnesia when he rejected Jesus thrice that night. Or the people who welcomed Jesus and they celebrated him with palm branches as he came into Jerusalem, just a few days later, they would shout, crucify him. They had spiritual amnesia. Or the believer who walked into church this morning for the hundredth time, when they had seen God answer your prayers over and over again, but when you are hit with fear, you have spiritual amnesia. Or the seminary student who's standing in front of you today, every semester he worries about finances for his education, even though God has provided year after year after year. I have spiritual amnesia. Friends, throughout our history, everybody has always had spiritual amnesia. But the good news is God has always been faithful to all of these people. Take Abraham. God provided for Abraham and Sarah with Isaac just at the right time, despite his unfaithfulness. God comforted Moses. He gave him a shoulder. He carried his burdens and gave him the privilege to have an intimate relationship with God like no one else before, despite his unfaithfulness. God forgave David of his sin. He protected him in the wilderness. He gave him this unique ability to articulate deep, difficult human emotions and had the privilege of having that recorded in scripture so that you and I can use the Psalms as a balm for our soul. God was faithful. God restored Peter and gave him the charge to take care of the flock. God used the disciples to turn the world upside down for the gospel. For the past six years, despite my unfaithfulness, despite my spiritual amnesia, not one day have we gone hungry. Not one payment have we missed, even though I've just worked a part-time job. Despite my unfaithfulness, God is faithful. And you know this for yourself. You know that God has answered your prayers. So much so, there have been times where you've even forgotten to pray for something, or you've stopped praying about it, and God answers it anyway. Despite your amnesia, despite your unfaithfulness, God is still faithful. God is always faithful when his people suffer spiritual amnesia. So if that is true, then what does that mean for us today? What does it mean for you and me? And it's simply this. When spiritual amnesia hits, remember God's faithfulness. When spiritual amnesia hits us, remember God's faithfulness. You see, like the Israelites in Numbers 14, you and I, we were rebelling against God as well. We were rebels against God. We were enemies. We were the captains of our own soul. We'd, we thought we could live our lives our own way. And it was God's initiative to send Jesus on our behalf, to die on the cross for our sins, to bear the punishment of our sins, to bear the wrath of God. He died and he rose again just so that you and I can have life with him. You and I can be uh, adopted as sons and daughters, that we can call Jesus our brother as we 
as our parents shared today. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Yes, Jesus destroyed the power of sin in our lives, but the presence of sin is still active, which is why we have spiritual amnesia in this side of eternity. And like Moses, as we saw Moses intercede, Jesus, our king, our brother, our good high priest, he intercedes for us every day in the presence of the Father, for you and me. You and I can still have spiritual amnesia, but the Father, he has done for generations. He continues to be slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love, and if he forgives iniquity. The reason that two of our friends were able to have baptism today was because God has been faithful for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. That is steadfast love. That is steadfast love. I don't know how many generations you can think of in your family. God's love extends all beyond that, and it is going to extend into the future. That, my friends, is steadfast love. That is who our God is. A God who forgives, despite our unfaithfulness, despite our spiritual amnesia. So when you catch yourself being overwhelmed with all the tasks that lay before you next week, when you catch yourself being worried about not having a ring on your finger, when you catch yourself being worried about not knowing what your job is going to look like, when you catch yourself being worried about not knowing how you're going to pay the bills this month, know that God is in your boat. God is steadfast in his love and his faithfulness to you. When you catch yourself struggling with failed pregnancies, when you catch yourself struggling with your child's health that is declining or your health that's declining, know that God is faithful. He hears, he sees, he knows your suffering. He is our ultimate healer. But you know what? The, the funny thing about amnesia a spiritual amnesia is we can't tell it ourselves. We can't catch it in our lives ourselves, which is why we need community. We need to be involved in our life groups. We need to meet on a weekly basis. We need to have the boldness to share our lives honestly to people around us and invite them to see our own spiritual amnesia. One of the reasons we memorize scripture and the reason we're reading this verse Sunday after Sunday, maybe it's not just for us. Maybe it's so that we can use it to remind the person sitting right next to you today. When they go through spiritual amnesia, would you be there to support them? When you find yourself overwhelmed with guilt and shame, especially after you've committed that sin that you've been struggling with for years and years, friends, know that our God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He loves you as his child. And when you find yourself in some sort of spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, or even physical abuse, know that our God by no means clears the guilty. He is a God of justice. When spiritual amnesia hits, remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you have extended your love for us 
for generations and generations. We thank you that there's nothing we can do to change your character. That your character is, is loving. It's, your love extends beyond the covenant. It is in your very nature to love your children. And God, it is almost in our nature to walk away from you every day, every moment. So we confess our need for you, Father. We confess that we are prone to wander, prone to leave the God that we love. And we can feel it. So God, through your spirit, help us to, to seek you. God, we need you so badly. I pray that you help us to surrender, to yield to your spirit in his transformation as he transforms us into Christ-likeness. And help us to pursue this Christ-like journey with community, with our friends, with our families, with our church members, so that we can remind each other of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.